The Frog King by Garth Greenwell. So this is another short story in the New Yorker, but I think I maybe will have to split it into parts because there's an audio clip on the website which is read out loud by the author and it's 48 minutes long. So not quite the shortest of short stories, but here we go. It was too early for there to be so much light so that when I woke, my first thought was of snow. We had pulled the drapes before sleeping, but they did almost nothing to darken the room. The snow caught scraps from street lamps and neon and cast them back up. It was bright enough to see R still sleeping beside me, cocooned in the blanket I had bought after the first night we spent together, when I woke shivering to find him bound tight in the comforter we were sharing, swaddled beside me. He repeated the word all that day, apropos of nothing, Swaddled, swaddled. He had never heard it before. The sound of it made him laugh. He would sleep for hours still. If I let him, he would sleep the whole day. He loved to sleep in a way that I didn't, sliding into it at every chance. It was like his native element, whereas almost always I slept poorly, uneasily. I woke finally with a sense of relief. He complained if I woke him. I'm on holiday, he would say, let me sleep. But he complained more if I let him sleep too long. We only had ten days together, his winter vacation, which he had decided to spend in Sofia while everyone else he knew went home. Mornings were my time to work, to spend with my books and my writing, my time to be alone. I would get up soon, but for now I kept looking at him, his face bearded and dark, smoothed out by sleep. It was all I could do not to touch it, as I often did when he was awake, cupping his cheek in my palm or reaching around the curve of his skull. He had shaved his head at the end of the semester. I liked to run my hand around and around it until he ducked and told me to stop, annoyed but laughing too. Even annoyance was part of the pleasure we took in each other. We were that early in love. I was still groggy with sleep when I returned to the main room, and I stood uncomprehending for a moment before I realised that R had rearranged things in the night. He had moved the table to the middle of the room and had placed my winter boots on top of it beside the little tree we had bought earlier that week. Sticking up from the boots were packages wrapped in newspaper, his Christmas gifts for me. He must have hidden them somewhere after he had arrived. He must have got out of bed in the night, careful not to wake me. He must have been quiet as he moved the furniture. I caught my breath at it. I felt a weird pressure and a heat climb my throat. I felt like my heart would burst. Those were the words for it, a hackneyed phrase, and I was grateful for them, They were a container for what I felt, proof of its commonness. I was grateful for that too, the commonness of my feeling. I felt some stubborn strangeness in me ease. I felt like part of the human race. He had seen snow for the first time that winter, and he loved to be out in it, to stand with his arms outstretched as it fell, his mouth open to the sky. We went out that afternoon, the snow already tracked through, but still lovely. The streets were quiet for the holiday. All the shops were closed. We were wearing the scarves I had found when I opened the presents under the tree, which were long and knit in the same pattern, one yellow and one blue. We wouldn't ever be boyfriends who wore the same clothes, R said, but one shared thing was acceptable. Having one shared thing was nice. We didn't go far, just halfway down the block, where I whistled a short upward swoop I repeated three times, the usual signal. She might not be here, I had said. She isn't always. She goes other places, or maybe somebody takes her in. 
but she came quickly enough from her usual spot round the back of the building. She was beautiful in her way, tawny and medium-sized like most of Sophia's street dogs, too skinny and with a mange along one side. She was happy to see us, I thought, happy, as she always was to get attention, though she lacked the confidence of some other dogs. She stayed close to the wall, wagging her tail but not coming too near at first. Even when she let us pet her, she tried to keep her distance, cringing in a sidling motion that brought her body within our reach but kept her head angled away, a mixture of eagerness and fear. Somebody had taught her that, I thought. Somebody had beaten her, or many people had. But not in this neighbourhood. Here everyone was kind to her. She was sort of a communal pet. She lost some of her shyness when R drew the packet of treats out of his coat pocket, clumsy in his mittens, which he had to take off before he could tear open the packet and pull out one of the strips of leathery meat. She started whining when she saw it, prancing closer, and he crooned her name, Liliana, though that didn't mean anything to her. It was just a name he had invented. It suited her, he thought. Ella Tuka, he said, a phrase I had taught him. Come here. And he held out the treat so that she could take it, which she did by stretching her neck and pulling back her lips, taking hold of it with her front teeth, like a deer plucking a leaf. He had bought the treats the night before, when we were getting supplies for the next day. She should have Christmas dinner too, he said. She let us pet her more vigorously then, coming close, even pressing her side against his legs as she begged for a second piece, which he gave her, though that was all for today, he told her, there would be more tomorrow. She seemed to accept this. She didn't keep begging once we turned away, as most dogs would have, I thought. She disappeared behind the building again, to whatever shelter she had found. We found the tree, by chance, one late afternoon. We were in a part of town I'd never seen before, on the other side of the city centre looking for a German supermarket, a chain that was popular in Western Europe, but that was the only single store in Sofia. It was less a store than a warehouse, really. There weren't shelves, but huge bins people poured through, so that everything was mixed together. A dozen kinds of chocolate bar in one bin, toothpaste and shaving cream in another. The chain had its own brand of food, and R was craving something from his life in Lisbon, a frozen lasagna, and when we found it in the oversized freezer case, he clutched it to his chest with happiness. It was a long walk from the store to the metro, longer because the sidewalks were caked with ice. R scolded me as we walked, telling me to take my hands out of my pockets, to keep them free in case I slipped. As for whatever reason, I did often enough. If it had been night, he would have passed his arm through mine to keep me upright. R saw the trees first, in the window of a little shop that was full of Christmas decorations. Even from outside, you could see how cheap they were, all metal wire and plastic bristles, but R insisted that we needed one, and ornaments, a box of lights. I want to have a real Christmas, he said. It was maybe three feet tall, it hardly weighed anything, but it was cumbersome. I held it in both arms like a child as we walked. I felt a little ridiculous sitting with it on the train, but R seemed proud. He kept one arm around it to hold it steady on the seat between us. When we got home, he wanted to trim the tree right away, and he opened the box of tinsel to find that it was far too large, we hadn't been paying attention, it was meant for a much bigger tree. He laughed as he wrapped it again and again around the branches. She was swaddled now, he said. It would keep her warm. Her, I repeated back to him, inquisitive, mocking him a little, and this gave him an idea. 
She needed a name, he said, and he decided to call her Madeline. I don't have any idea where it came from, but he loved to say it. He liked to give things names. I think it was a way of laying claim to them, and he called out to her every time he passed, almost singing it. Madeline! Madeline! He saved the box of ornaments for Christmas Eve, little glass balls we hung from hooks on the branches, tucked among the tinsel. We knelt to arrange them, and when we finished, R sat back on his heels. Isn't she beautiful, he said, taking my hand in his, but he answered the question himself. She is, isn't she? I think she's beautiful. We went to Bologna. I actually have no idea how to pronounce this city name. Bologna. Bologna? Bologna. Feel free to correct me. We went to Bologna because it was the cheapest place we could fly. There were tickets for 40 euros, a price I could afford. We packed a single carry-on each, anything else would have meant a fee, and rode in a cab to the airport's old terminal which the budget airlines used. It was my first time leaving the country. During breaks, when the other American teachers left for places near or far, Istanbul, Tangier, St. Petersburg, I stayed behind. I didn't want to travel, I said. I wanted to be settled in a single place. I studied Bulgarian, I read, I wandered the streets downtown. But I did want to travel with R, to leave Sofia, where even when his friends were gone, there was a pressure of secrecy, where it was too dangerous to hold hands in the streets, to kiss in public, however chastely, where everywhere we had to keep a casual distance. I wanted to be with him in a place where we could be freer with each other, a place in the West. It was my gift to him, a getaway, a bit of romance. We arrived at the airport early enough to be first in line for the unassigned seats and sat in the front row where there was extra room for our legs. Even so, my knees almost touched those of the single attendant who sat facing us, strapped into her fold-out seat. She spoke English with an accent I couldn't place, not Bulgarian but something Eastern European, and she smiled slightly, kindly I thought, when the plane started down the runway, thrusting us all back, and R moved his hand to cover mine where it lay on my knee. We booked the cheapest hotel too, a chain a good way from the city centre, with a bus stop outside for getting to town. We arrived too late for any exploring, we'd have to wait until morning to see the city. It was hard not to feel depressed by our room, which had the corporate airlessness of such places, comfort sterilised of any human touch. It was on the second floor, overlooking the parking lot. It's not exactly a dream of Italy, I said, meaning it as an apology, but R laughed. He drew the curtain across the glass and pulled me to bed. Who cares about the view, he said. The bed is nice, that's all that matters. You should care about the bed. And then we were both laughing, one on top of the other. The hotel's one luxury was the breakfast we found the next morning, a buffet of eggs and sliced meats, yoghurt and fruit, a table overloaded with cakes and tarts. It was early still, we had set our alarms, we wanted the whole day for the city, and I needed a coffee first which meant a complicated machine with a digital screen, then waiting for the paper cup to fill. When I turned back, I saw that R had covered our table with little plates, a sample from each of the suites. He hadn't left any room for me. I stood for a moment while he tried to clear a space for my coffee, shifting the plates around until one almost tipped onto the floor. He caught it just in time. I made a little noise, exasperated and amused, and he looked at me and shrugged. He would take a single bite from each plate, then move it to one side or the other, sorting out the things he liked. I watched him for a while, and then, Really? I said, 
my tone half question, half disbelief, making a gesture that took in the table with its plates, the room, the other people eating. He shrugged again, glancing around at the assortment of other travellers, businessmen mostly, a few couples. Who cares, he said, using his fork to dig into another piece of something. They don't know me, we'll never see them again, why should I care what they think? I remembered this later, waiting for the bus that would take us into town. We were the only people in the little shelter at the stop, huddling together against the wind, which was sharper than I had expected. It wasn't very cold, but it was cold enough for our coats, for the scarves we had draped around each other before heading out. Then R stepped up onto the bench, he grabbed my shoulders and turned me to face him. Now I'm the taller one, he said, and bent down to kiss me. Not a chaste kiss. He gripped my hair and tilted my head farther back to probe my mouth with his tongue. I tried to pull away, laughing. It was a busy road, we were in full view of the passing cars. But he held me tight, kissing me with urgency, until I realised that exposure was the point, that he wanted to show off, here where nobody knew him, where he could be anonymous and free, could live out an ideal of candour. He leaned into me, mm, oh my god, I, I don't like this, <laughs> is this fanfiction? He leaned into me, pressing his pelvis into my stomach so I could feel his cock hard between us. This is not ideal reading for both of us, is it? <laughs> it turned him on to show off like this. I had had no idea. I gripped him, using my body to shield us. I gripped him hard with both my hands through his jeans. I started to undo his belt, wanting to meet him in his daring, to show him I was game. And he moaned into my mouth before he pulled back and pushed my hand away. Porta Tebem, he said, slapping my face lightly and laughing. Behave. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave it there, actually, because the next part is when they go to Piazza Maggiore. Piazza Maggiore. And they see some things. Um, yeah. It seems like a very, very sweet story. Just a shame that it's about two men. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's all folks <laughs> um as always if you're still listening in the evening I hope you'll sleep immediately I hope your eyes are already closing I hope they already have closed by the process of me reading to you but of course, I'm irresistible, so I would understand if you've made it to the end of this. Um, so in that case, good night and sleep well, my cute little baby. I am so excited to go travelling with you and to see things with you, to do things with you. Yes. And if you're listening in the morning... Good morning. I hope you have an excellent day. I hope you do many things that make you happy. I hope you talk to me, because I would hope to be included in that category. <laughs> um, yeah. I love you. <laughs>